Good morning. Um, clocks have been in the news for the last uh, week or so, and particularly last night. And so I thought we would uh, start by talking about this clock that we have here. When you entered the room this morning, you were given an envelope, something like this. And I'd like you to open your envelope, please. This particular clock, as you can see, has a clock face, a humidity gauge, and a temperature gauge. And I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are part of this clock. Just imagine yourself as being part of this clock. What part would you want to be? You say, well, I want to be seen. I want to be the face of the clock. I want to be the hands of the clock. I want to be seen. I want one of the most prominent places on this clock so that everybody can notice me. Now, how many of you received a yellow card? Just, just raise your hands, okay. Um, all right, so for those of you who don't know, so Daniel, are we going to get this up real quick here? Um, there were 19 yellow envelopes. Uh, Christine, did you have any envelopes left? Okay, could you bring those up to me, please? Thank you. Um, in the sealed envelopes, you'll look at your envelopes and you'll see um, of the 19 cards that were yellow, we had um, a clock face, a humidity gauge, a temperature gauge, a clock front rim, uh, the clock glass cover, we had a clock rubber glass seal, which is not seen, but it's there. Um, and then there are 12 separate cards that had 12 separate numbers, 1 through 12, obviously. And so you say, well, if I have a yellow card, I am an important part of this clock. But before you think more highly of yourself than you ought, um, I want to remind you that the clock cannot operate properly without the orange cards. So how many of you have orange cards? One. That's it. Wow. Okay, this clock is going to be in real trouble. Um, what are the six orange cards? There's the hour hand, there's the minute hand, the humidity gauge hand, the temperature gauge hand, the clock motor, and the clock motor cover. And a clock without uh, a motor and without hands cannot correctly tell time. So those who have yellow cards need those who have orange cards. Those with yellow cards are not more significant than those with orange cards. They need to work together. They're all significant. They're all essential to one another. But there's more to this clock than meets the eye. There are hidden parts to this clock that no one can see, and yet they are as significant, if not more significant, than some of those parts that I've already talked about. So those with pink cards, just show me that you've got pink cards. Okay, pink cards were the humidity hand connector. It'll never show you humidity, even with the dial, with the hand, unless it's connected to the clock, and that little tiny screw that's holding it together is what is needed. Same with the temperature hand connector, the clock hands connector. And there are eight separate cards with the word stainless steel screw fastener, which actually holds the entire clock together. Those with pink cards do not have a prominent or visible role in the clock, but without you, the clock will not fulfill its purpose. It will not work uh, the way it was designed. And the more you think about your position in this clock, the more you realize how important each member is. But none of the parts will function without your presence in the clock. You are invaluable. But don't let any part of the clock think more highly of itself than it ought to. We must think clearly. There is one clock which speaks of unity, and there are many parts which speak of diversity. But there's one indispensable part of this clock that is missing. Anybody want to 
yes, after you've read all those things? Yes, Matt. Okay, that's here. And in this envelope, there is one battery. And this clock will not work without power. Now, fortunately, this clock has all its parts. And if I take off the cover and I put in the battery, uh, i got to make sure I'm doing this the right way. Okay. And we'll see if it keeps proper time. That's pretty close to the right time, so we'll see if it works. I see it jiggling, so that's a good sign already. Now, it's too bad that we're missing some parts. This one, the stainless steel screw fastener. This one, the minute hand. Going to be tough to tell time without the minute hand. And it looks like the number five... Six, seven, anyway, there's a bunch of parts missing. And that's unfortunate because without them, the clock cannot function properly. So let's turn uh, to our passage this morning, and I'm going to actually start by reading uh, what Luke talked about last week, Romans, starting with Romans 12, verse 1. Now, although I'm using... A clock to illustrate, uh, what am I using it for? It's to illustrate the church. The church is made up of many members. Uh, we are a unity. There's one church, but it's made up of a diversity of members. And each member has a spiritual gift from the Lord. And when we all work together, fulfilling our God-given roles, the church grows, it thrives, and it multiplies. The Bible actually uses two different illustrations. One is the body, and the other is what Howard mentioned this morning, living stones, that we are a building being built up um, for the Lord. In Romans 12, Paul uses the illustration of the human body to teach us about our place in the church. So let's start with Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When God saved us, he wants us now as believers to think differently, completely differently than the world and different than what we thought before that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, let's review verses 1 and 2 for just a minute. The chapter begins with the mercy of God. God showed us favor when we deserved the opposite. That's the definition of mercy. Think of all that the Lord has done for you in salvation. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He called you at a particular time in your life. He justified, sanctified, and glorified you through Christ's death on the cross. And at a point in time, you cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And God was merciful to you. As a result of what he has done, 
the most sane, reasonable, rational, and logical response for you is to say, Lord, here I am. Here is my body. I offer it to you in worship. I give my hands. I give my feet. I give my tongue, my mind, my heart, my all. I give myself to you as a living sacrifice. Deliver me from the views of the world and the thoughts of the world. Don't allow the world to squeeze me into its mold that I might conform to its ways, but through your word and through your spirit, renew my mind and transform my life to be more and more like Jesus. I want to serve you because I love you. Let me be a blessing to those whom you bring into my life. That should be our attitude. That's what Romans 1 and 2 is all about. So the moment we are saved, something happens. Not only are we saved, but the Lord gives us, God gives us His Holy Spirit um, to reside in us. And the Spirit of God gives every single believer, no exception, every single believer is given at least one spiritual gift. So I know for a fact that if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift given to you by God. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself to the rest of the church through your spiritual gift. We know that the Spirit of God is in you by the way you demonstrate or, or uh, exhibit, shall we say, your spiritual gift. And the gift is designed not for you, it's designed for us. It's designed for the profit of the whole body. Now, it's interesting, you didn't choose your gift. Just like when you came in, the envelopes were given to you. Uh, the Lord distributes your spiritual gift as he sees fit. And so he looks at you and he knows the plans that he has for you and for your life and for your future. And he designates a specific spiritual gift or gifts to you so that you will be the most fruitful person you can possibly be in the church. That gift is his by choice, and he is the one, the Spirit of God is the one who gives it according to his purposes and plans. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your spiritual gift? Do you know? What is your spiritual gift? I want to think for a moment we're going to look at a few gifts in a minute, but I want to think for a moment about what happens when you exercise your spiritual gift. I want to say this to you, that you can be confident that if you exercise your spiritual gift in the way God intended, you will be the most fruitful Christian that you can possibly be. God gave you that gift so that you might bear fruit for Him. Exercising your gift is what Romans 12.2 is talking about, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is his will for you? To exercise the gift that he's given to you. And it is designed to build up the whole body here at Calvary Bible Chapel for the church. God's purpose is for you to exercise your spiritual gift for the prophet of the body of believers. Now, in Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each on a, a measure of faith. Each one a measure of faith. What is the key word in verse 3? It's highlighted for you. Think. God wants us to think clearly. He, want, it's, he says that he, that, that he saved us, that we are to offer our bodies to him a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, think straight. Think properly. It's interesting. I was so glad to hear David uh, give, uh, uh, have a devotional this morning on uh, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the passage talks about the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself and serving 
And that's really what we're talking about here. Think straight. Humble yourself and serve the saints here at Calvary. So the key word, think. Do you remember the transformation that took place in Paul's life? He was a former blasphemer, had murder in his heart as he attempted to force the extinction of Christians from the face of the earth. But the Lord stopped him in his mad pursuit in a marvelous way, and he was so transformed that God made him an apostle, an evangelist, a church planter, a teacher, and a servant of Christ, a servant to the church. Paul humbled himself. If you remember on the road where he saw the blinding light, he, he fell on his face and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord gave him a lifetime of fruitful service for him. It would be best if we had that same desire. Ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? You've given me a spiritual gift. Show me what it is and help me to use it for your glory and let me be fruitful for you. All right, in verse 3, we are to think soberly. What are we to think? Well, as a believer, you, you must think clearly about your place in the church. God has great plans for you. It says that in the scripture. He has great plans for you to build up the body of believers here in this corner of Fremont, California. God has chosen you, given you a gift to be used here um, in this church. You think clearly when you understand that God has a work for you to accomplish. The Bible tells us that too. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know what God wants you to do? It's interesting. It really is saying to us that, that not only are we chosen before the foundation of the world, but God chose us with a purpose to serve him. And he has works for you to accomplish that may seem hidden to you right now, but he doesn't, he's not trying to hide them from you. He wants you to ask him and he will show you. You think clearly when you believe that God has given you a spiritual gift to use for the profit or the benefit of this body of believers. And so I ask you, how are you exercising your gift to build up this body of believers? You think clearly when you think when you don't think, I should say, so there's good positive things you think, but there's some things you shouldn't think. You should not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't be conceited about the gift God has given you. You might be given maybe the hands or the face or something like that, and you're more prominent in, in the, uh, the body, but don't let that go to your head. God could just have easily have given it to somebody else. If you are in a more prominent position, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't be conceited about the gift God has given you. Realize that you have been given, what you have is a gift. It was given to you. What do we have that has not already been given to us? It's not because of anything in me or you or anybody else. It's a gift from the Lord. But one of the things that could happen is that you could become if you think more highly of yourself, that you actually avoid serving because you think too much of yourself. And that's not a way, the proper way to think either. You think clearly when you value each gift in the church that God has given, um, and everybody has a place and a purpose. And so I ask you, do you look for ways to build up other believers in the exercise of their gift as well. And then you think clearly when you are content with the spiritual gift that God has given you and you use it for his glory. And you keep looking for new ways to exercise that gift and increase in fruitfulness for God's glory. Verse 3 also says, God has dealt to each one of us or to each one a measure of faith. And so it, this indicates that the exercise of your spiritual gift takes faith, and it does. It takes faith to exercise your spiritual gift. 
And God wants you to develop your spiritual gift. Um, but many won't exercise the faith that it takes to become fruitful. And so there's a lot of wrong thinking when it comes to spiritual gifts. And I want to go over a couple of these. And these are all one-sentence excuses. First one, I can't. I can't. And you may say, well, I can't be an evangelist because I've seen Billy Graham. He was an evangelist. And he preached to thousands and thousands of people. And I could never preach to thousands of people, so I can't. But maybe God has given you the gift of evangelism, and he wants you to reach one person. You know, there was a, I, I believe this is correct, I may be wrong, but I believe it was a shoemaker who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And imagine the fruit that that shoemaker had by leading Billy Graham to the Lord. And so if you, if you trace back in my own family, uh, there was a missionary who was back at, in Vancouver from Barbados who spoke to my grand, great-grandmother, and her boys went to Sunday school as a result of it got saved, and that's ultimately how the gospel kept being presented uh, generation to generation. So maybe it won't be evangelism like Billy Graham. Maybe it'll be evangelism like your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. And as you exercise that gift and you, and you exercise more faith, believing that God can use you even in a greater way, maybe one day you'll become the next Billy Graham and give you more opportunities. I can't. It's more likely I won't. That's a more likely scenario. And you might say something, I'll just take another gift, hospitality. I won't show hospitality and there's a myriad of reasons why you won't. My house is too small. Uh, I don't clean up after myself or whatever it happens to be. But start with one person. You don't have to have a crowd. Start with one and ask them to come and minister to them, not just food. Food's good. We like food. But minister to them uh, spiritually in your home and, or maybe take them out to a restaurant or something like, like that or I, take them out for ice cream. It doesn't even have to be fancy. But minister to them. Build them up in their faith as well. And as you start uh, showing, demonstrating hospitality, you'll stop saying won't. Now, of course, you don't start with the feeding of the 5,000. But maybe the Lord will give you faith to feed 5,000 someday. Another excuse, well, I, I want to be important. And, and nobody is recognizing the spiritual gift that I have. And nobody is placing me in front of everybody else. I want to be important. I want a big ministry. And so I need to be involved in a big church to serve the Lord in a big way. I want to be important. I remember years ago, uh, before coming into the United States, I had uh, been asked if I would come and teach at the intern program. My elders initially said to me, no. And I was a little surprised by that. They said, we want you to serve here at this small assembly, and we, wanna, we want you to exercise the spiritual gifts that you have here. And when they said that, um, I said, okay, I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll do whatever you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And they said, go back and get a job again. Go work. And, uh, and then just serve the Lord as, as uh, the Lord leads you. And so I had Bible studies and uh, ministry at my old high school and taught the scripture Sunday mornings and had Bible classes and just on and on and on. At the end of about nine months, they called me and they had another meeting. And they said, okay, remember we said to you, you can't go? I said, yeah. And they said, remember we wanted you to serve the Lord here? I said, isn't that what I've been doing? And they said, no, no, yeah, you have. And they said, we were testing you. And my elders went way up in my estimation when they said that. I thought, how wise that they're testing me here in this situation um, and allowing me to serve the Lord here. Then they said, we're going to release you to the work of the Lord in California. But we have one request. So the, the training program was held at Fairhaven Bible Chapel. And they said, we have one request. I said, what is that? We don't want you fellowshipping at Fairhaven Bible Chapel as your home church. I said, why not? That's where the program is. And they said, because it's too big. They don't need you. 
They have all the gifts that they could possibly want and more. They don't need you. Go and serve the Lord in a small assembly and just serve the Lord uh, in, in a humble way um, and don't join this big church. And I thought, you know what? I will take your counsel. It's wise counsel. And I followed it. And you know, it had more, that did more to encourage my own personal spiritual growth than if I had just been one in a number of, you know, one in a big church lost in the crowd. I want to be important. Don't want to be important. Want to be a servant and want to serve the, the rest of the body. And the Lord will, if you humble yourself, he will exalt you in due time. The scripture tells us that. So another excuse, I give up. As we exercise our spiritual gifts where God has saved us, we do so for the benefit of the entire body. We grow in faith as we exercise our spiritual gift. And the Spirit of God that gave you the gift that best promotes health for the whole body gave that gift to you so we cannot do without you. And so when you say, I give up, you're giving up on the whole body. I met a man last night. I was at a, a church dinner and, uh, at another church, and um, I met a man who told me that uh, when he first got saved, he said he remembers calling his buddy who had witnessed to him, and he said, hey, I did it. He says, you did what? He said, I got saved. And he said, I was so excited and he said, I went around telling all of my friends and families, my co you couldn't shut me up. I just kept telling people about the Lord and what he had done for me. I said, well, that's great. He says, yeah, but you know, he said, after a while, he said, they, they didn't share the same excitement as I had. And, and I just gave up. I said, what do you mean? You gave up on the Lord? He said, no, I just gave up telling anybody anymore. I said, really? I said, when did that happen? He said, about 44 years ago. And I said, it just crushed me to hear him say that. I thought, wow, 44 years. God wanted you to use your gift and you just let it atrophy. Another uh, response, I don't like my gift. I don't particularly like the gift that the Holy Spirit gave to me. Even though he's all wise, all knowing, I want a different gift. So let me tell you a story. I told you news at 11, right? So here I am with crutches this morning. My leg decided this morning that it did not uh, want to exercise its gift of being my left leg. It's part of my body, but it has chosen not to serve the body anymore. You see, this morning, it looked at my right hand and it said, why is the hand so prominent? Why is your right hand so important? It shakes people's hands at church. It turns pages in the Bible. It wipes away tears. It pats people on the back. It writes letters to the saints. It types out sermons. It feeds me food. I want to be noticed. But you cover me up. And yet you expect me to carry you wherever you want to go. All you want me to do is serve, serve, serve. And so I dragged my left foot to the meeting this morning, protesting, as it's saying, I just want to sit and warm a pew today. And it wants to do that because it's kind of throwing a pity party for itself. So because my left leg refuses to serve and to fulfill its God-given duty, guess what? My hands are preoccupied holding crutches because my left leg is not thinking clearly. My arms were not meant to bear the weight of my body, but they have to hold me up because my left leg refused to do its job. My left foot wants to function, but the left leg is in the way, and it's interfering with my foot's ability to serve the body because of its lack of contentment. Because the left leg will not work, my whole body is suffering. And that is exactly what happens in a local church when those to whom God has given spiritual gifts refuse 
to exercise those gifts. And all of this is to illustrate how important every member of the body is to each other. Whoops. Everybody. Um, Everybody part must function properly in the area of service that God designed it to uh, perform. And so Paul uses the illustration of the human body in verses 4 and 5. He also does in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to teach us about the spiritual body. There's a bigger lesson here than just my physical body. It's the spiritual body, the church. And so in Romans 12, 4 and 5, we read this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Our human body is a clear illustration of a more prominent or profound spiritual truth. The human body illustrates for us the way the church should function or should work. So what do these verses teach? First, there is one body. It says in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, and then verse 5, we are one body in Christ. Second, there are many members in one body. For as we have many members in one body, and in verse 5, and so we, being many, are one body. And so what we see here, number three, is that there is diversity in the body, but all the members do not have the same function, and there is unity in the body, and individually members of one another. And so let me just counsel my left leg for a minute, okay? I just want you to say, I want to say to you, I should say, that you are part of the body. You are unique. You have an essential function for my body. And frankly, without you, my entire body is suffering. Your lack of involvement hurts my hands, my armpits, my foot, my muscles. Really, you're hurting the whole body. Will you please offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice? That's spiritual worship. So that the entire body might be healthy and well. And the whole body profits from your service, even if I don't say so daily. Please, will you serve? We are members of the same body, and you are a vital part of the whole body. Now, hopefully... If there are gifts here who are suffering like my leg, you will say, yes, Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me for not serving. Forgive me for not taking my place. Forgive me for not fulfilling my God-appointed role in the assembly here. And my body, I don't know if I can do this from here, will just begin to say, you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord. I dedicate my life, myself, to the Lord. And all of a sudden, I don't have to use crutches anymore. I mean, if I lean on this too, too, too hard, I may have to use crutches again. <laughs> and I don't need this anymore either, because now I'm no longer hurting. And now the body is healthy and well, and everyone among us uh, benefits from the function of every part of the body. So to my left leg, I say thank you. Thank you for offering yourself to the Lord. Years ago, I think it was 2018, we preached a series on uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are about 18 gifts, and we don't have time to go through all 18 this morning. Um, but they were divided up into uh, several categories. There were foundational gifts, which were meant for the uh, beginning of the church, sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. And you can always listen to those sermons online uh, from 1 Corinthians 12. Um, but in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we have 
so the, the foundational gifts and the sign gifts are noticeably absent. In, in Romans 12, Paul only refers to seven gifts. And the exercise of these seven gifts is essential for a growing church. And it is church growth God's way. Okay. Um, if we want to see Calvary Bible Chapel grow, then we must see these gifts in action. We must see them uh, in action here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Paul says, and this is the key to the whole, the whole passage, let us use them. Four words. If you go home and you only remember four words, let these be the four words. Let us use them. So we're going to go through the seven. The first one is prophecy. It's, each of the, slide, the next few slides are going to say something like this. An assembly with these spiritual gifts is a growing church. And the first one being prophecy. This is a gift that is needed. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, in the Old Testament, a prophet was one who would tell people what God wanted them to do, and the prophet would also tell them what God was going to do. Today, the gift of prophecy does not add to the complete word of God that we have. But a prophet proclaims the fundamentals of the faith that we already have written out for us in the Scripture, revealed for us there. A prophet brings people back to the Lord and to His Word and tells them what God wants them to do. A prophet may call people back to the Lord from their sin. As Paul writes also in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So those three things are, are part of the prophet's ministry today. We need men who will boldly proclaim the fundamentals of the truth of God's word. The church needs men who will speak uh, boldly to build up the body and not tear it down. And with so much trouble and discouragement in our society and in, often in our own lives, may the Lord raise up prophets among us who will edify, exhort, and comfort. Those are the things that we need as a church. And if God has called you to the ministry of prophecy, use your gift. An assembly with a spiritual gift of prophecy is a growing church. Second gift is ministry. Paul says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Ministry is a very broad gift and it can be exercised in many different ways. It simply means service. And so if the Lord has called you to any ministry, to any, with any gift, it, you are meant to serve. The gift of service includes hospitality, caring for the sick and aging, lifting burdens, relief work, attending to another believer's needs. It may be a wife who frees up her husband for ministry. It may be taking a believer out shopping or to a doctor's appointment or here to the chapel. It may be picking up books after the meeting or sweeping floors or putting out the garbage. It could be visiting someone in the hospital. It might be babysitting uh, for a mother who's just stressed out and needs help. Uh, it could be reading the scriptures to believers who are depressed or giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It could be any of those things and plenty more. Whatever form it takes, ministry or service is always needed in the body. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.11, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's really interesting to me, that verse really is, is saying that as you serve others, they should see Christ in you. They should see that you are doing what you're doing because you are Christ's one. You belong to Him. 
If God has called you to the ministry of service, then seize every opportunity you can to exercise your gift. An assembly gifted in ministry or service is a growing church. Next, teaching. He who teaches in teaching. A teacher is one who explains the Word of God in such a way that those who hear him or her um, understand what the Scripture says, what it, what it means. So that the church members or those who hear the teaching will apply it to their hearts and lives and the church will grow. And if God has given you um, a spiritual gift to present the Word of God in such a way uh, that it's understandable, don't hold back. Use your God-given spiritual gift for the benefit of the entire assembly. Teaching is a systematic instruction of God's Word. It's the whole counsel of God, not select portions. It's, it's the whole thing. And it may be done in a preaching. It may be done in a Sunday school classroom. It may be done one-on-one -on -one in your home. It may be a Bible training program. It may be around the table at dinner time with your own children. The need for doctrinally sound teachers has never been greater. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. Paul instructed Timothy to reproduce teachers, the things that you have learned from me, teach to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also, and it goes on and on and on, this faithful reproduction of future teachers. And it is one of the requirements of an elder that he be able to teach. It's essential that elders can exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who oppose the truth. So if God is calling you to a teaching ministry, teach to build up the saints so that they might understand the scriptures and be able to teach others also. An assembly with the spiritual gift of teaching is a growing church. Exhortation. He who exhorts in exhortation. You know, I think the word exhortation has been given bad press. You know, we often think of an exhorter as someone who is pushy or demanding and almost threatening. But that's not the meaning of the, the word at all. In fact, at the very beginning of Romans 12, it says, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. I'm begging you. <laughs> that really means exhortation. That is exhortation. I'm begging you to, to do these things. The word itself, and I'm going to pronounce the Greek word and see if it rings any bells for you. And I am not a Greek scholar, so I probably butcher this when I say it. Parakaleo. Does it sound like any other um, Greek word you know? Parakaleo. Hmm? A helper. Yeah. The word paraclete is the word that is used for the Holy Spirit who is a comfort to us, a help to us. And that's really what it means. The word for exhortation really means to be a comforter, a helper, uh, one to strengthen, one to build up believers, to think straight, to live righteously and follow the Lord. Um, it's exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. If God has called you to the ministry of exhortation, then use it for our profit. An assembly with the spiritual gift of exhortation is a growing church. Giving is next. He who gives with liberality. Sometimes God gives a person the ability to make money and to give generously. But since we are all commanded to live simply, we are commanded to be content with food, shelter, clothing, we should all think of the extra, we'll call it, um, that God has given to us, that, it, that it's meant to satisfy the needs of other saints. But God gives some people the ability to handle large sums of money and invest it in the work of the Lord in very profitable ways. Usually the Lord starts uh, a person off in a very small way. 
I remember, uh, and I've, I'm sure I've told you this before, but I remember the first time I was ever challenged to live by faith in financial terms, and uh, this was during the intern program, and there was a group going to um, Mexico for Christmas, and they said you have to pray in 10% of the total amount, which the total amount was 100, I had to pray in $10. And I thought, well, that's silly. You know, that's it? And so, but I had never trusted the Lord by not telling anybody I had any need and actually asking the Lord to provide me with money that way. And I said, well, that's going to be a challenge. So if the Lord really wants me to go, I'm going to pray in the full hundred. I'm not going to go through the whole story again. But at, by the night before we left, the Lord provided all $100. It was a test of faith to me. I know it was. And I look back at that and say, the Lord was testing my faith in financial area to trust him for even more that we might be able to serve him in a greater way and build up the church. Usually the Lord tests a person's faithfulness in small measure first. And then as your faith grows, the Lord continues to expand or uh, give, you, give you more opportunities. And I think of a man like George Mueller. If you read his life story of how he served the Lord in raising up and helping those who were in, uh, orphans, um, he started off actually quite small. He started off by praying for things like silverware for feeding them and plates and dishes and things like that. But in his life, he came to a point where the Lord continued, he, he continued to want to serve the Lord and trust the Lord for greater and greater things. And the Lord allowed him ultimately to house at the same time over 2,000 orphans. And he was ministering to their needs. He said, well, that's, that's way more faith than I could ever have. He probably felt the same way when he started. But he wasn't content with that. Do you know that uh, George Mueller, the money that came to him, he'd say, okay, this is what we need for the orphanage right now, but the Lord has given us more. So what is this more for? Now, most of us would think something like, well, that's to be put aside for a rainy day. But he didn't think that way. He said, no, there are people who have gone to China to witness for the Lord. It was at the time of uh, Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission, and he gave thousands and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of British pounds, which would be hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, at the time, and he faithfully gave them away to those in need. And as the years went by, he gave more and more, and the money that the, the, if you take the current value of the money that passed through his hands, it was in the millions of dollars. But do you notice the way I worded that? The money that passed through his hands. I remember hearing somebody preach on the two types of believers there are when it comes to finances, money. One, there are two bodies of water in Israel. One is called the Sea of Galilee. The other is called the Dead Sea. And the reason the Dead Sea is dead is because water flows into it, but it doesn't have an outlet. It just takes takes, 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 and it's become dead. But the Sea of Galilee has, in, has water flowing in and water flowing out, and it's a living body of water. And as a result of, of the uh, Dead Sea just taking and taking and taking, keeping, 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 it's dead, it's lifeless, it's stagnant. And so a giver, somebody who has been given the gift of, of giving, is one who is like the Sea of Galilee. They take in, they give out. They take in, they give out. And if God has blessed you with the spiritual gift of giving, then give with liberality, the scripture says. An assembly with the gift of giving is a growing church. Leading is next. He who leads with diligence. This has the meaning of standing before others. Interestingly enough, this word of leading is never used of political leaders. Okay, never in the scripture. But it describes fathers who lead their families. It des describes elders who shepherd the flock. And it means a guy, it means someone who is a guide to lead somebody to a safe haven, something like a pilot of a ship that brings the ship safely uh, to um, its, its, not to the shore, but <laughs> to its place of safety. 
Leading must be done with diligence. Jesus said, I must, go, I must be about my Father's business. And you see Jesus with that same heart attitude. He was diligent in accomplishing God's purposes, and so it must be with the gift of leading. And so if God has gifted you with the, the gift, spiritual gift of leading, do so with diligence. An assembly with, the gift, with those who are gifted in leading is a growing church. Mercy is the last one here. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those with the gift of mercy show compassion to unworthy and undeserving people. It involves showing sympathy and being able to relieve suffering. A merciful person uh, shows mercy. It's an action. Mercy cannot sit still when others suffer are afflicted, tormented, or hurt. Mercy leaps into action and does not exercise itself out of a sense of duty, but with cheerfulness. Wouldn't it be something if we all had the gift of mercy? And if we all exercised it with gladness of heart. But if God has gifted you particularly with the gift of mercy, demonstrate it for the body with cheerfulness. An assembly with the spiritual gift of mercy is a growing church. All right, let's just sum it all up. You have at least one spiritual gift. That I know for sure. The Holy Spirit has given that gift to you for the profit of all. Let us use them for the glory of God and for the blessing of His church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love to us, your mercy to us in saving us, and also, Lord, for your gifts to us as a church. You have uh, selected specific spiritual gifts for each member of the body here, and Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to see what their gift is, that they might use it for your glory, for our blessing, and that, Lord, they might be the most profitable and fruitful, uh, gifted people that they can be in their life. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.